We're focusing this morning in chapter 1 on verses 28 and 29, and I want to once again read those verses. And we proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose also I labor, striving according to His power, which mightily works within me. As you can see, some of the components of proclaiming Christ, we're thinking about admonishing and teaching and then laboring. So far in chapter 1 of Colossians, we have seen that Christ is preeminent. He is preeminent in creation in Colossians 1, 15 through 18. He is preeminent in redemption in verses 19 through 23. And he is preeminent in the church, and that's part of what we are focusing on this morning. The proclaiming of the gospel is all about Christ. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul writes those words in Romans 11 and verse 36. Have you experienced Christ? That is our question this morning. Anglican minister Jeffrey Sneed relates the following account. A theological college in the land invited to their annual conference a renowned professor as guest lecturer. He spoke for two and a half hours, and he cited proof after proof, scholar after scholar, book after book. His theme was that the resurrection of Jesus never took place. He concluded that since there was no such thing as a historical resurrection, the religious tradition of the church was groundless. It was all emotional nonsense because it was based on a relationship with the risen Lord who never was risen in a literal sense. After this dissertation, he stepped back from the podium and asked if there were any questions. Silence. There was a long pause. Then an elderly pastor stood up in the back, and all eyes turned to him. He said, yes, Dr. Professor, I have one question. He had brought his sack lunch with him, and he reached into his sack lunch and pulled out a green apple and began to eat the apple crunch. My question is a simple question. Crunch, crunch. I never read those books that you mentioned. Crunch. I cannot recite the New Testament in the original language. More crunch. I know nothing about Nebor and Heidegger. Crunch, crunch. And he finished the apple. All I want to know, he said, is this apple that I ate, was it sour or sweet? The professor thought for a moment, and then he answered in a scholarly fashion. I cannot possibly answer that question because I haven't tasted your apple. The old pastor took the core, put it in his crumpled paper bag, looked up at the professor, and said, Neither have you tasted my Jesus. Now the question for us this morning is, Have you truly tasted Christ? He has been proclaimed. You have heard him proclaimed many times over and over again. 
but have you truly tasted him? Colossians 1, and beginning in verse 26, it's all about Christ. His saints, to whom God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, and we proclaim Him. The King James Version says, whom we preach. And here is the first rule of proclamation. The principal part of proclamation must be Christ. Catangelo, the word for proclaim, means to promulgate, to announce, to declare. It comes from angelo, a verb meaning to bring tidings. So angelos would be an angel who brings tidings. It also refers to a minister or anyone who proclaims the gospel of Christ. We know that proclaiming the gospel is not just witnessing to people, because after his first missionary journey, Paul conferred with Barnabas in Acts 15.36. And he said, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord to see how they are. There's our word, Catangelo, proclaimed. They didn't just preach. They didn't just witness in every city. They did the entire package of teaching people the gospel, bringing them to Christ, and then discipling them. When we proclaim Christ, that would be our objective. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul uses that word to identify the complete package from planting a church all the way to a self-sufficient church that can support its ministers. That's the Apostle Paul. Last Sunday, Pastor Paul established from this pulpit that proclaiming Christ is the responsibility of every one of us. You don't have to be a pastor to share Christ. In fact, that is a privilege that God has given us, and we want to be sure that we are getting in on that exciting possibility of being a part of God's changing lives. Now, in verse 28, if you're in Colossians 1, the apostle will help us see something of the methodology that proclaiming Christ entails. Admonishing. And we proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. Admonishing. The word is eo. It comes from two Greek words. The first is nous which means mind or thoughts. The second is tithemi, which means to set or to place. So when we are admonishing someone in Christ, we are placing something in their mind. We're placing the Word of God in their minds. Paul describes that in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, a very familiar verse. We're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we're taking captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. This is what we try to help a person to do with neuthetic counseling. Many of you have been to some of the ACBC seminars where we focus on learning the Word of God and giving biblical answers to men's problems. 
Why do we do that? Well, if God is not on your mind, He's not going to be in your actions or in your speech. So we want to admonish every man in the teaching of the Word. Now, when we use the word admonish today, what comes to your mind? Maybe the boss or the CEO bawling somebody out because he didn't get the job done or he did something wrong. But Paul is admonishing in a very different way. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be made sorrowful, but that you might know the love which I have especially for you. Is that the way we admonish? And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 7, But we prove to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her children, having thus a fond affection for you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. And then in verse 10, You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. Hopefully, as fathers would their own children, encouraging them in a very positive way, and the way God encourages us. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul says, We plead with you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So Paul was kind and gentle. He was pleading with his listeners and even shedding tears in his admonishing of them. Now, there's some other ingredients that would be important to us if we're going to practice neuthetic counseling or neuthetic admonishing. In Colossians chapter 3, getting a little ahead of our study, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts toward God. The Word of Christ must dwell in you richly if you are to exercise all wisdom. And you need to have a spirit of gratefulness and you need to have a song in your heart. Paul did, and he could say that he was sorrowful yet rejoicing in spite of all of the opposition that he encountered along the way. So we come to teaching Didasco, it's an important word in the New Testament, used 97 times, and it comes from a verb that means to learn. Didasco means to teach, to instruct, to provide information intended to produce understanding. And that could either be in a formal or informal setting, and Paul used both. There are two Greek words that are translated as teach or teaching, And we see both of those words used in what has come to be known as the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Go ye therefore and teach, there's our first word, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. 
teaching, our second word, them, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now the first word, teach, is mathetuo, and that means to disciple. And it will be translated as such in a modern translation. The second word, didasco, means to impart knowledge or to instruct. We go to make disciples, instructing them in everything that the Lord has commanded us. Paul was actively involved in both. In any kind of teaching, there would be two relationships in play. One would be the relationship of the student to Christ. But the second would be the relationship of the student to the teacher. And the latter is important as well as the former. Certainly your relationship to Christ is the most important, but many times your relationship to the teacher is going to influence you in terms of your relationship with Christ. And that seemed to be a gift that Gerald Sarawaji had, because when we listened to him, our hearts were uplifted and we were drawn closer to the Lord. So the second rule of proclamation must be the process A proclamation must reflect Christ. We're talking about the way you do it, the way you witness, the way you teach, the way you preach, whatever it is you have to be doing, the way you give out a gospel tract. We see some insight in that from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. Paul, again, writing here, And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. But somebody will say, wait a minute, I'm not a teacher. Oh, yes, we are all teachers. And we're teaching those around us, even little children, all the time. We may be teaching them what is good, or we may be teaching something else by our omission or by our commission. But we are all teachers. So we would do well to pay attention to what Paul is telling us. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. We do the teaching, but it's God who takes that information and makes it effective in a person's life. Here we see a spirit of kindness, gentleness, prayer without resentment, toward that person and the way they may respond to the one doing the teaching. Now, the Apostle Paul is a heavy-duty theologian. Occasionally, he writes some things that are difficult to understand, and even the Apostle Peter recognized that. In 2 Peter 3.15, he says, Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Of course, Paul is writing inspired scripture. So some things may be difficult for us to understand, but the majority of Paul's teaching and his writing would be very Practical, very practical. And everything that Paul tells us is tied to the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
He's teaching every man all wisdom. And where does that wisdom come from? Christ Himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So if we're going to be able to counsel others and help them as they struggle with problems of life, we're going to have to have not only the Word of Christ in our minds, we're going to have to have the Spirit of Christ in our hearts, helping us to understand, giving us a love for that person, helping us to be kind and gentle, even when some may not understand what we're trying to do. So we see Paul's admonishing and teaching is linked to the person and work of Christ. William Hendrickson writes in his study on the book of Colossians, giving some examples of this connection. So let's take a look at several of these. There it is, linked to the person and work of Christ, and ours must be as well. Uh, Romans 15, verse 2, Paul says, Please your neighbor, for even Christ pleased not himself. Romans 15, 7, Extend a hearty welcome to each other. Receive one another in the King James, just as Christ also welcomed you. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7, Abound in the grace of giving to the needy. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, that through His poverty you might become rich. Ephesians 5.2 Walk in love, just as Christ also loved you, loved us, and gave Himself for us. Philippians 2.3-8 Be humble and unselfish which attitude also is in Christ Jesus, who emptied himself and took on the form of a servant, humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Colossians 3.13, Forgive, just as Christ, for God's sake, has forgiven you. What should be the extent of our proclamation concerning Christ? Rule number three. The plan for proclamation includes everyone. Christ we proclaim, admonishing every man and teaching every man. The word for man is anthropos, which simply refers to a human being. So our task is to proclaim Christ to everyone. Everyone in H-E-B? Well, if you can get hold of the microphone, that might not be a bad idea. But God gives us opportunities, and as we have opportunities and recognize them, we seek to proclaim Christ to anyone with whom God may have given us an opportunity to share a good word or even to share a tract. 2 Peter 3, 9, and here is something that makes it kind of scary sometimes if we don't get it right. We've got to convince this person about the validity of the claims that we're making. But that's not the entire picture. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, Christ should be proclaimed to everyone. But it's obvious that not everyone who hears the gospel is going to respond positively to it. And sometimes we feel like that person would be rejecting us 
or maybe we don't know enough to be able to say anything about Christ, but that's not the case. The Holy Spirit can take any witness that is given and use that in a person's life. Now, remember to whom this epistle is written. Because we might ask the question, well, why doesn't God just touch everybody and everybody comes to Christ and all I have to do is just speak to them and everybody comes to Christ? Well, there's several reasons for that. The epistle of 1 Peter and the epistle of 2 Peter are written to, guess who? 1 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He's written this to us. 2 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. It's not something that we conjured up. It's something that we received. We did hear Christ proclaimed. And it may have been proclaimed in an eloquent manner, or it may have been proclaimed by someone who had just been saved through His amazing grace. But either way, it's the Spirit of Christ that's moving in a person's heart. So all we have to do is deliver the mail. Now, we ought to be able to give a good explanation There's no reason for shoddy scholarship in our presentation of of Christ, but it's not up to us to convince that person that they need Christ. It's up to the Holy Spirit who's going to touch their hearts, and He's going to touch the heart of everyone that He wants touched. John 6.39 Jesus is speaking, and He says, This is the will of Him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all He has given me, but raise them up on the last day. So we proclaim Christ to everyone, and we pray that God would touch their hearts to respond in a positive way. And we remember that some do the planting, some do the watering, but it's God who gives the increase in His own time. So don't be discouraged if you've put a little seed in what looks like rocky soil. God can take care of that. What's the goal of proclaiming Christ, our admonishing and teaching about Him? That we may present every man mature in Christ. Rule number four. The final product of proclaiming Christ is completeness in Christ. Did you know that your life is not not complete unless you are in Christ? And it's not just enough to say, oh yeah, I believe in Christ. You need to be living for Him as evidence that you truly believe in Him. We mentioned it. Here's the exciting thing revealed in Scripture. You and I can be a part of of this process of proclaiming Christ and watching Him change a person's life. Several months ago, Yvonne and I were attending the funeral of my brother-in-law, one of the pallbearers sitting right in front of us, was a a young man. I say he's a young man. He's not too young anymore. 
But he has his uh, Ph.D. in divinity, and he's the pastor of a Baptist church in Colorado. But when I knew him in high school, he was just a high school guy knocking around, looking for the next fun that we're going to have. He wasn't any more committed to Christ than the man in the moon. But he heard the proclamation. And he heard the proclamation. And he heard the proclamation. And at some point the Holy Spirit said, You're the one, John. We need you. Some time ago, Lucy and I went to teach in an inner city school in Birmingham, Alabama. And when I found out about the school that had just been opened, I found that there was a young man who had a Ph.D. in Christian education from Columbia Bible College and uh, seminary, and he was there to run this school. Bernard, my old buddy, from camp. He was just a little boy at camp there to have some fun. But God got a hold of his life. So you just can't tell what the end result is going to be, but our goal is to proclaim Christ so that we may bring every person to maturity in Christ. Our lesson today is all about how to do that. The word in the King James for perfect is teleos. And sometimes we think, oh no, every time a bullseye, nobody's going to make that. Well, that comes from the prefix tell, which means reaching the end or reaching the aim. And you can think of an old sea captain who had a large one of these, and he wanted to get maximum effectiveness out of his telescope. He wanted to see the end of what he was trying to see. And so he would stretch that thing out a little bit and then see if he could focus. And sometimes that's the way God does with us. We've heard the word proclaimed and we've been taught ever since we were little children. And God says it's time for this guy to grow up a little bit and be mature. And so he stretches us. Have you ever been in a stretching experience? Something happened that just stretches your faith. If it doesn't stretch your faith, if God doesn't get your attention, look out. Because God will say, that didn't work. We better stretch him out a little bit more. And then comes more stretching. And sometimes we feel like we're on the rack all the time. And God is just stretching and stretching. But remember the divine goldsmith, he knows just how high to turn up the heat to remove the dross from the pure metal. So God may really stretch us at some point. But then the end comes into focus, the end of completeness in Christ, maturity in Christ. He tells us that we should be perfect. Be you therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. I haven't seen too many people who have reached, reached perfection. I don't know that I've ever seen one. Of course, I've not known everybody very well. And there may have been some out there who were getting pretty close that I just didn't know about. But when will we be made perfect in Christ? It's going to come whenever we get mature. And part of the process of getting mature is that we may be built up in Him until we reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, become mature, attaining to the whole measure of Christ. 
So we'll see people at different stages of sanctification along the way. But we're moving toward that whole measure of Jesus Christ. Now, what does the whole measure of Jesus Christ look like? Paul tells us about that in chapter 1 of Colossians. Verse 22, Yet He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death in order to present you before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Holy means to be cleansed from sin. Blameless means to be without fault. Beyond reproach means to be free from accusation. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head that is Christ. It's a process. And one day that process will be completed. 1 John 3, 2. We know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. And that's when we'll be able to see the end and we will have recognized perfection in Christ. We won't have any more tendency to sin. But in the meantime, I am pressing toward the goal to be conformed to the image of Christ. And at least I'm no longer acting like a baby sometimes. So we have to be careful. Laboring. What did Paul always seek to maintain that would energize his labor for the kingdom? The mighty working of God in his life. Rule number five. The power driving the proclaimer must be Christ. Specifically, Christ's Spirit working within us. John 6.63, it is the Spirit who gives life The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. And as we read the words of the Bible and the Holy Spirit begins to impress those upon our hearts and upon our minds, then we have wisdom, then we have maturity, then we are able to teach and able to admonish and able to encourage others to mature in Christ as well. There was another ingredient that Paul mentions that uh, it plays an important part in his kingdom work. Colossians 1.29 For this purpose I labor, striving according to his power. Paul was striving to do the work of proclaiming the gospel that God had given him to do. Striving in the Greek Language is agonizomai. It means agonizing. And it means that Paul taxed all of his energies to accomplish the goal, even as the athletes of his day exerted themselves to win the victory in the Olympic Games. So there are two parts to this process. There is what God is doing, and there is what I am doing, we are doing. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good pleasure. God's preservation of the saints always presupposes perseverance 
on the part of the saints. Let me give you that again now. God's preservation of the saints always presupposes perseverance on the part of the saints. If I am a true believer in God, I will persevere. But that's my job, to persevere. I'm not exactly going to just let go and let God. Now, I understand what people may be saying in that. We can't strive in the power of the flesh. But we want to work to be presented holy and blameless in His sight, beyond reproach, exercising that faith that we might be firmly established and steadfast, as he tells us back in verse 23. If you are firmly established and steadfast in the faith. Well, if we're really in the faith, we will eventually be firmly established and steadfast. Now, let's review what we have said. Number one, the principal part of proclamation must be Christ. All things are from Him and through Him and to Him. Number two, the plan for proclamation includes everyone. God knows who will respond. So we tell everyone and we just trust God for their response. Number three, the process of proclamation must reflect Christ. We should be kind and gentle, pleading with listeners. Now this is a time when Paul could bear down on false teachers But just typically in our witnessing and our teaching, we would be following this kind of admonishing that Paul gives us here as a nursing mother encourages her child. Number four, the final product of proclamation is completeness in Christ. Maturity, wholeness, and holiness. Sometimes we look at that word holiness and that's That's almost something we don't want to have anything to do with, but it just means purity. We would be free from sin. And finally, number five, the power driving the proclaimer must be Christ. The power of His Spirit stoking the furnace with grace. Charles Spurgeon once told a story of a man who had contracted a rare disease. He heard of of a celebrated physician who had developed a cure for his particular, particular malady. So he made his arrangements to leave his city and travel to the city in which the physician lived. And finally, he found the man's office and he knocked at the door and told the receptionist he had come to see the doctor. He was told that the doctor was not in. Well, he said, I will wait until he comes in for I must see him. Oh, you won't have to wait, he was told. His assistant is here and he'll be glad to see you. The suffering man, who had been often disappointed, responded. And he said, I don't care to see the assistant. I want to see the man himself. Mine is a desperate case. Well, said the receptionist, the doctor is out, but there is his bookshelf full of books. You're welcome to look at any that you like. Thank you, he said. I cannot be content with books. I want the living man and nothing less. It is to him that I must speak, and from him I will receive treatment. But do you see that cabinet? Yes, it's full of his medicines. The sick man answered, I dare say they are very good, but they are of no use to me without the doctor. I need the doctor to prescribe for me, or I will die of my disease. 
But look here, someone said, here's a person who has been cured by the doctor. A man of great experience who has been present at many remarkable operations. Sit down with him and he'll tell you all about the treatment. The afflicted man answered, I am much obliged to you, but all your talk only makes me long to see the doctor. I came to see him. I'm not going to be put off with anything else. I must see him for myself. He has made my disease a specialty. He knows how to handle my case, and I will not stop until I see him. Spurgeon concludes, We are not content to preach unless Jesus Christ is the theme. We do not set before you something about Christ or something that belongs to Christ, nor something procured by Christ, nor someone that has known Christ, nor some truth that extols Christ, but we preach Christ crucified. We do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ the Lord. And we would add to that, we admonish every man in Christ. Purposeful, thoughtful, faithful, consistent, Admonishing and teaching helps us to become mature in Christ. So we want to be involved in proclaiming the gospel the way Christ was uh, and the way the Apostle Paul did. Admonishing gently, teaching practically, and laboring energetically. Now, as we close, uh, let me ask you one further question. What do you do really energetically? What do you do in life that you are really fired up about? And I close with this short passage in Luke 13, the words of Christ. And He, Christ, said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. There it is again, agonizamahi. Strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us, and he will answer and say to you, I do not know you, where you are from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. They had heard the proclamation. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart, from. depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves cast out. What about you this afternoon? Have you tasted Christ? And how did it taste? And if you've really tasted Him, it's going to taste pretty good when you recognize what He's done for you and you will be proclaiming Him so that others may have that same opportunity. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank You for those in our lives that have faithfully and consistently proclaimed Christ to us not just witnessing, but the full counsel of God. And we thank You that You have encouraged us along the way through many people. The testimony of some whom we've never even met, but we've heard them speak 
and electronic media. I pray that in our admonishing we would be gentle. I pray, Lord, in our teaching we would be practical. And I would ask, Lord, in our laboring that we would labor energetically, that we would be diligent. Father, I would pray if there's someone here this morning who is not in a right relationship with you, that you would touch their hearts through the proclamation of Christ. Uh, Lord, we recognize that it's only Christ that can cure our problems. So I would pray that you would bring conviction of sin, that you would bring the desire to commit one's life to Christ, and that you would give courage at this time to fully commit the life to you. Thank you for every spiritual blessing in Christ that you give to us. And we pray, Lord, that we might bask in the glory of those blessings and that we might exercise them. We pray these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.